This is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. Well, last week I started a series uh, that I titled Called to be Holy. Called to be Holy. And uh, I believe that God has called us to grow closer to him in every area of our lives. And uh, so that we can have the full access to the blessings that he brings our way as well. And uh, uh, holiness is the character of God. And it's very important for us as Christians made in his image and his likeness to also live our lives in a holy way as well. And God encouraged us to be holy. But a very interesting thing about holiness or our holiness is that our holiness is not for ourselves. It is for the Lord. We live a holy life not to impress people. We live a holy life not to try to be better than others. No, that's not the point. It is living for the Lord. It is being conscious of who God is and his presence in our lives. And that whatever we desire, we desire to please him as well. So we go back to our anchor text in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. As you know, in our church, we don't project the scriptures on the screen because we want you to know where Isaiah is. Uh, so uh, if you don't know, you can ask for help. I'm sure somebody will help you. But Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah has a very interesting experience and encounter, and he shares that encounter with God, and that encounter gives us an insight into God's holiness and his presence as well. And so we're going to get a few lessons from that. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin perished. So Isaiah saw a vision, a special vision that he had. And it was a vision of God's glory that he saw. And in that vision, he was transported to the presence of God. And and in that vision, he saw God in his fullness and in his glory and in his power as well, sitting on his throne. And there are a few things that Isaiah saw in the vision that I want to bring to your notice. Number one, he saw God's holiness and glory. God's holiness and glory. He he says, "I I saw God sitting on his throne. And so when you have the imagery of God sitting on his throne, he's talking about God's holiness and God's glory. God's holiness and God's glory. His authority, his power, 
So God is sitting on his throne. So and Isaiah encounters God sitting on the throne. And he says that, that his power filled his presence. His power filled his presence. And, 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 and that, that experience was so overwhelming for Isaiah. And last week we, we, we delved deep into it. And I want to encourage you to, to, to listen to it last week on our, on our podcast. You can get it. It will bless you significantly. And, and, you know, but the interesting thing about Isaiah's experience is that, you know, once in a while, you, 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 we experience people in their glory. You encounter somebody, you come before somebody uh, who, is, who looks ordinary, uh, but, but when they come in their glory, we, we experience them differently. So, for example, you know, I, I was given this example in the first service that, you know, years ago, uh, President Obama and his wife, Michelle Obama, traveled to, to, to the UK. And so they, so they went on a state visit to see the Queen of England. And on that visit, you know, at the initial meeting that they had, uh, the Queen of England was in a, her room, and, you know, she, they, so they came into the room, and, 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 and the very interesting thing about that particular visit was that the Queen decided to hug the wife of, of President Obama, Michelle Obama, which, which everybody was surprised about because the Queen never hugs. In fact, one of the protocols of the kingdom, uh, of the United Kingdom, is that you never hug the Queen. So the Queen hugs her. And she decides to hug the queen back, which is also breaking another protocol. Because if the queen decides to even hug you, she didn't hug back. But she decides to hug back as well. And so they, 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 they hugged and they, they spoke and everything. And it was, it was a very casual meeting. But that same meeting, in that same day, that same evening, they had a state banquet. And in the state banquet, the queen comes in. But this time she comes in with all her glory. With the crown and the... Scepter, holding it. And when she comes, they're announcing that she comes to the glory. That cannot happen at that place. Because although on one level, the queen is ordinary, on another level, she comes in her glory. So, so Isaiah encounters God in his glory, and, and something happens. He's, he's, he's struck by the presence of God, about, about seeing God, about meeting God, about encountering God. And that's why Isaiah says, woe is me. Woe is me. He says, I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He encounters the majestic presence of God. The second thing we see from Isaiah's vision is that he acknowledged his own sinfulness and doom. Isaiah acknowledged his own sinfulness and doom. He had a vision of his sinfulness. Isaiah was the only person who comes in the, and he's not the only person who comes into the presence of God and feels the same way. Many other people in the Bible come before the presence of God, and, and they feel the same way. We see that same example in Judges 13, verse 22, where we read about Manoah and his wife when they saw the angel of the Lord. And, and, and they said, we shall surely die. Why? Because we have seen God. Job says the same thing as well in Job, chapter 42, verse 5 and 6. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. We see the same experience in Luke chapter 5 verse 8. This is when, when Peter encounters Jesus Christ. And Jesus does the, the, the awesome miracle. And so Peter has this great harvest. And, and, and after that experience, Peter says, depart from me, for I'm, an, I'm a sinful person. It, it's, it's, it's coming before the presence of God. In his presence, something happens. God reveals something to us. To us because when you are in the presence of God, it will make you weak. Your, your knees will be weak, I'm telling you. His glory makes us see our, feel our weakness. His holiness makes us feel our sinfulness. That means that you cannot come before the presence of God and go back the same. No, 
No, no, no, no, no, no, no. Something about his presence makes you see your own limitation. Because, because and, and when we see our weakness, we are able to take hold of his strength as well. He says, I saw the Lord in his glory. But he didn't shout hallelujah. When he saw the Lord in his glory, something happened to him. And many times, you know, when we come before the Lord in his glory, uh, in his presence, and we're worshiping and we're praising, and it's awesome, we jump, we dance. That, that's great. That is awesome. But as I said, I saw an experience of God. He said, and I couldn't do anything. I just stood. And I realized my sinfulness. I realized that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm limited. I realized that, that I have weakness. And, and the very interesting thing about this particular passage and this text, that if you look at Isaiah chapter 1, all the way to chapter 5, Isaiah has been condemning the people. Oh, woe is you, you will die. You are sinful Israel. Stop that. Do this. The Lord's judgment is coming upon you. It's coming my mighty judgment. And, and after Isaiah said all that thing, then he comes before God and he says, I'm sinful. It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting picture. He comes before God and he's, and he's not telling God that the, that the people are sinful. No, he says, God, I am sinful. He says, woe is me. Woe is me. Because the more, um, the more you come into the presence of God, the less judgmental you become. The less judgmental you become. When you find people who are very judgmental, they have not encountered God well. I'm telling you. Because when you've encountered God, you will not stand there just be pointing and accusing fingers at people. You'll be praying for them. Because you can see your own weakness. And you can see your own limitation. So the Bible says that we have a high priest whose name is Jesus. Who, who, can, who can feel our infirmities. And he knows our weakness. Why? Because he was like us, yet without sin. And so because Jesus came as man, he can feel what we feel. And knows what it is to be human and to go through the experiences that we go through. The more you come before the presence of God, the less judgmental you become. The more merciful you are. The more you are praying for people. The more you are hoping that it will be well for them. But when you find people just pointing sticks, accusing fingers, they haven't encountered God. And that is why even the Pharisees struggled, struggled. To handle Jesus Christ. Because they couldn't understand how this guy could sit with sinners and, and, and chat with them and yet he's not, sin, he's not sinful. They couldn't understand how, how he could relate with them and yet he's not sinful. Because, and for them, it's, it's all about wearing white robe, walking through marketplaces, and then receiving fans. And Jesus said, no. The more we understand. Because now when you stand before God and you, and you appreciate your weakness... And when you see your brother or your sister for you, you know what it feels like. You know. And you say, God, pray for them. God, help them. You, do, you, you, you are not on social media shouting and bashing people. You say, God, pray for Help them. Come through for them. May it be well for them. Isaiah has that experience. And instead of condemning the people before God, he says, God, woe is unto me. He says, I spent my time condemning people, but woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Very interesting. The, second, the, the, the other thing we notice about Isaiah as well, the third thing in that particular experience in the vision is that he realized the sinfulness of the world around him. Not only did he realize his own sinfulness and doom, but he realized the sinfulness of the world around him as well. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What Isaiah is saying is that he says, I have allowed what happens in the society to also affect me as well. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips because of where I dwell. Isaiah knew. That although he was talking about the sins of the people, what he was actually talking about was not just about the sins of the people, but because the sins of the people has, have also become his own sin. The weakness of the people have become his weakness. 
The challenge of the people have become his own challenge. The problems, the failures have become his as well. Do you know that when you dwell with something for so long, you become very familiar with it? Yeah. When you stay for so long, you become very familiar with it. So, so, so when we criticize people for their own behavior, many times people who criticize others for their own behavior, most times they are in the same situation. Because it's very easy to criticize. It's very easy. Bashing is easy. You know that. Yeah, it's very easy to just talk and talk and talk and talk. And he understood that. He says, he says I'm around, the, I dwell with people that are sinful as well. Because sometimes it's the sins of the society becomes our sin. And we hear this you know, through conversations, through social media, we read the news. You know, I, I was saying the first time that, you know, when I was younger, you know, sometimes, you know, you're watching a movie. Sometimes, you know, when you're younger, you know, you're watching. And it's a war movie, war. Mm? War. Boom, boom, shooting. Boom, 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 boom. Bombs here. Jumping here. Rambo is here. This, that, 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 that. Some Vietnam war. And all of a sudden, you see a scene and they're kissing. And when I'm watching and they're kissing, I'll bow my head now. Look like that. But do you know that as you grow older, you stop covering your eyes? You stop looking. No, you look now to the end. Examine the kiss properly. Because over time, we become familiar. We become very familiar. Something that used to become unfamiliar becomes familiar to us. Maybe you live amongst people who always use profanity. And at some point, you couldn't stand it. Then over time, you say, okay, it's okay. Once I'm not the one using it, then it's okay. Then before you know, once in a while, you release such words. It says, I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. And the Bible says the same thing. Talking about the story of Lot. That how, how Lot was vexed by Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot lived in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Not the one in Abogulushi. No. Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible days. And they lived in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible said that his soul was vexed. And his soul was vexed because he lived among an unclean people. And although he wasn't sinning, he, the, the people just grieved his soul. It was just very difficult for him to live his life pleasing the Lord. And, and something very interesting happened in Sodom and Gomorrah because Sodom and Gomorrah, they were sinning big time. I mean, these guys were homosexual, just all over the place. I don't want to use the expressions. All over the place. Just messing up. Sexual sin. Rampant. Rampant. And so, and so something happens that, and that, that, that's very intriguing in that particular story. So, so God is about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham has been praying that, 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 that God will rescue some righteous people. And so, and, but Lot is the only righteous one that, that God finds. And so God sends uh, an angel, his angels to come and, and rescue Lot. So they come before Lot. And so they are in Lot's house having a conversation with Lot. And, and something very interesting happens. When, as they're in Lot's house, the they, they, men in Sodom and Gomorrah, most of them, they're homosexual guys. They came to the door. Started knocking. Boom, boom, boom. Lot, bring out the angels so we can sleep with them. That's how serious it was. They were knocking. Bah, bah, bring it out. Bring them out. Bring, bring them out. Ah, you serve some fresh meat you are reserving. Bring them out for us. Knocking, knocking, knocking. Lord decides he won't give them. So, so Lord comes to a point and, and, he, and, and he says, I'm going to give you my daughters. And he brings out his daughters. Can you imagine? And these guys sleep with the daughters from morning to the evening. 
That is how messed up society was. That, 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 you, that's how serious it was. That lot is saying, that, oh, uh, uh, well, I, I can't allow you to do this, but you take this. But you take this. Because he dwelt in the midst of an unclean people. Clean, unclean people. Because the sins of the society he had become familiar with. He had become very familiar with. Do you know how many sins we have become familiar with? How many times do you see something and you say, this ought not to be so? And after some time, you say, oh, well, it's their own life. Let them live it. How many times? How many times? That is why Isaiah says, he says, I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. I have become like them. He says, although I condemn them, I have become like them. And many times the sins of the society becomes our sin as well. And Isaiah had no idea that the sins of the society had become his sin until he, be, he came into the presence of God. When he encountered the presence of God, he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. When you come into the presence of God, something about his presence will reveal your true condition to you. And you have to choose what to do about what God reveals to you as well. Very importantly. So, if man, or if man's response to God's holiness, like Isaiah, is woe is me. I'm a person of unclean lips. What is God's response to our sin then? What, what, God, what does God do about our sin? How does God feel when we sin? How does he approach the sins of the people? There are five ways in which God responds to our sins. Number one, when sin occurs, God takes note of it. When sin occurs, God takes note of it. Job chapter 10 verse 14. It says, if I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. God takes note when sin occurs. Don't ever get to the point, my friends, where you say, oh, God understands. God knows, I know, in this generation, this is how things are. Just because society has reduced its standard does not mean God has reduced its standards. Just because society tolerates something does not mean God tolerates it. Just because society says that something is illegal does not mean that it is righteous. There is a difference between legality and righteousness. Legality means that society has become dead to it. And says, oh, it's okay if it happens, it doesn't matter. But if society says it's okay, it does not mean that God says it's okay. And when sin occurs, God marks it, my friends. He takes note. He does not overlook sin. The righteous nature of God will not allow him to overlook sin. I, I, I might say, oh, maybe if it's me and I was God, I would overlook it. But his righteous nature will not allow him to overlook sin. When sin occurs, God takes note of it. God will not allow modernity or post-modernity. To make him lower his standards. It never happens. God will not allow current development or trends or vibes to make him lower his standards. God is not a man. God is bigger than the 1992 constitution. After all, the 1992 constitution was promulgated in, 19, in 1992. The, the American constitution was, was, was put together over 250 years ago. The Magna Charta is 800 years ago or 1,000 years ago. But God is bigger than those. 
God's standard is not based on the constitution of Ghana or America. Or what, because some of you, when, some, when America does something, you say, oh, it's, it's in America, so let's do it. We are, we are very gullible. Oh, the UK allows it. And we now be say, hey, you know, in the UK, they allow it. And what also sounds sophisticated? It's not about sophistication, Omo. It is about righteousness. <laughs> it's about righteousness. God's standard is not society's standard. So the fact that society says yes, does not mean God has said yes. The fact that society endorses something does not mean God endorses it. God's word precedes every legal document of humanity. His standards are not subject to our human rights causes. God's word is God's word. And when we sin, he takes note of it, my friends. He doesn't mark it according to the UN charter. He marks it according to his word. He will mark when we sin. The UN may say, oh, what he did was right and noble and brilliant. It doesn't mean that it has God's endorsement. No, 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 no. Wrong is wrong. Wrong is wrong. We, we wish God would mark it. And he will say, oh, you know, I understand. This is the 21st century. I mean, your generation is all vibes. I know. It doesn't work that way. He marks it. Number two, he punishes all sins. He punishes all sins. Now, that is not very comfortable, right? It's not. That's not what you want to hear on a Sunday morning. You didn't come to, hear, come to church come and hear punishments. No, that's not what you want to hear. Isaiah 13 verse 11 says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. It's talking about the world and the wicked and the individuals and society. Both society and individuals get punished because of sin. God punishes sin. If he marks it, he doesn't just mark it. He has to respond to it. Very important. He has to respond to it. He has to punish it. Number three, he is willing to forgive our sin. Number three, he is willing to forgive our sin. So he marks it, he punishes it, but he's also willing to forgive our sins as well. That means that although the end is punishment, God is willing to do something so that the punishment doesn't take place. And he's willing to forgive our sin. Isaiah 55 verse 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their, his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God wants to forgive. So he would mark your sin. He would punish your sin. But he's willing to forgive. That means that there is something you can do to forgo the punishment. The punishment is destined, but there is something you can do to forgo the punishment, not to experience the punishment as well. In other words, if you are willing to take hold of the forgiveness that God provides, you can escape the punishment. Because Christ took the punishment in our place. But if you are adamant and stubborn in your own ways, then although Christ took the punishment in our place, you can still experience it because you are not willing to, to take hold of the, of the forgiveness that he provides as well. You have to make an effort and be committed, my friends, to the change process. You have to. You have to. You have to make an effort. The world is compromising on so many levels. We have to make an effort. It's not enough to just say, I'm a Christian with my lips. 
Christianity is not lip service. It is character. It is lifestyle. It is attitude. It is honor to God. Him first. Him only. It is about him. It is different if, if, if somebody is an unbeliever and don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus Christ, and they want to just do anything. Oh, that, that, that is fine. But when you say God is your God, and Jesus Christ is your Lord, when that is your confession, you can't live the way you feel like living. Yeah. If, if, you, if, you, if you don't want, if, 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 somebody, if somebody else says, oh, I'm just doing what I want to do, I want to mess up, I want to do X, Y, that, that, oh, that, that's cool for the person. I mean, Jehovah is not their God, they are living their own life, that's so, that's so, they are accountable to nobody, I don't care about anybody, it's about me and my life. Oh, that, that, that's fine. But if you make him your Lord and personal Savior, then you are accountable to him. You are accountable to him. You can't just do what you want to do. Very importantly, he's willing to forgive our sin. And we can't escape the punishment when we accept the forgiveness that he offers. Number four, he actually provides remedy for our sins. He actually provides the remedy for our sins. He provides the way so that, so that the sin will no longer become a problem for us. So he marks it, he punishes it. He, he forgives it, but he also, the good thing is that he doesn't leave us to ourselves. He provides a solution, a way out. We see that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, he says, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved ourselves. Love God, sorry. But that he loved us and, that, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I, I like the verse 10. It says, not that we love God, but that he loved us. God's remedy was not even based on the fact that we wanted it. It was based on the fact that he took the first step to us. Even when we didn't want his grace, he took the first step towards us. That is the God that we serve. He didn't sit down and make us try to figure out this sin problem and solve it ourselves. No, he took the first step by, by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. If God can punish Christ for the sins of the world so you can be free, you can take advantage of the forgiveness that he makes available so you don't suffer in your own punishment as well. Because Jesus was the propitiation for our sin. That, that word propitiation means that he was the appeasement. He had to appease the wrath of God against us because of our sin. Jesus was the one who appeased. He made an appeasement for us and the judgment that was against us. He didn't send his son to come and punish us. He sent his son to come and die for us on the cross. There is a remedy for our sins. And number five, he gives us power over sin. He gives us power over sin. 1 John 5, 1 to 5. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Not only does God forgive us of our sins, but he gives us the power to over sin as well. Sin can be conquered in your life. It can be conquered in my life. We can live in the midst of a perverse people and still shine as light, my friends. We can live in a sinful world and still be, be the conscious of our society. 
that can be our story as well. So although we may live in the midst of an unclean people, we can still live a clean life as well. We can overcome sin, and that is what God wants for you and I, to overcome sin as well, to be the light. So not, not, not when people say, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter, you know, what I'm doing, you know, is social drinking. Social drinking. Just social, just something small. Social drinking. Do you have social adultery? Social drinking. And it doesn't matter, you know, if I drink, just drinking a few things. Listen, there's a thin line between drinking and drunkenness. It's a very thin line between drinking and drunkenness. Because drunk people don't know they are drunk. That is how I was saying the first time. You find a drunk man who's trying to flip over a wall. <laughs> because he thinks he's sane. We have to be very careful and not allow all these contemporary phrases mm, to mar your Christianity, to dull your vision. Not to allow all these nice sounding words to dull your vision. Ah, relax, ah. I ain't the only Christian here. Ah, I also go to church. Ah, just take something small. Ah, what is all this? Because drinking will blur the lines for you, my friends. It will blur the lines for you. In fact, sometimes you may not even go out because some people say, oh, you know, uh, even when I sin, I, once I'm not harming anybody. Once I'm not harming anybody, you may not go out to sin. But in your room, in your mind, once I'm not harming anybody. It's not about harming people. Because sometimes it may not be a crime, but it is sin. Because whatever happens in your mind, we cannot legislate against it. The police service cannot come and arrest you for your mind. And I was saying the first time, like some guy who had met some girl, trying to run the girl. The girl is not minding him. He said, you, I'll catch you in my dreams. <laughs> they cannot arrest you for that. No. But before God, who do you want to honor? He said, I'm not hurting anybody, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me I'm not hurting anybody. You are hurting the Holy Spirit. You are grieving the Holy Spirit. You can't say, I'm not hurting anybody. You think it's just about you? No. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have to understand it. So whom do you want to hurt more, your neighbor or God? Who do you want to hurt more? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> body. For those of us who are younger, don't, don't allow certain lifestyles into your life. It will damage you. It will damage you. What somebody called social drinking they are handling for you, when you taste it, you can become a drunkard very fast. It will, cruise, it will damage you, I'm telling you. It would damage. There is no value in sin. There is no value. No matter what our mind tells us, no matter what society tells us, there is no benefit from it. There is no benefit from sleeping around. There is no benefit. No. Minus the HIV and or gonorrhea and all those things waiting. There is no benefit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is no benefit. Married couples, there is no benefit chasing somebody else's husband or wife or some girl in the, in the office or some man in the office. There is no benefit for the promise of money or the promise of sex or satisfaction. There is no benefit. There is no benefit. 
It'll cost you, I'm telling you. It'll cost you. You may seem you're having fun. They will say you are a guy. You are a big man, big boss. But it'll cost you your integrity. It'll cost you. It'll cost you your holiness. You find young people, social media, on Instagram, on TikTok, they're trying to trend and they do all kinds of foolish things online. In the name of views, I want to trend. And the thing about the world is that they will say, oh, take this off. Take that, because the world will not be content. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Ah! You think we are seeing nasty things today? You wait. Give our society 10 years' time. We see nasty things on a different level altogether. You find people, young ladies getting naked on, on, on live streaming because they want views. You want views. Views. Whose view do you want? You may delete it, but the digital footprint does not go away. One day they will pull it back and it might, it might be your grandchildren who will look at it. Because you want views. You didn't think about your children. All you think about is yourself. The man who's chasing a young girl in the office, all you think about is yourself. You have children, you have a wife. All you think about is your sexual urge. That you want to fulfill. You think we all don't have urge? You think we all don't feel? We feel. Oh, we feel. <laughs> we feel. When you have an urge, that's not me. I mean, when you have an urge to use the worship, do you say, oh, I have an urge, okay, I'm using it right now here. That, that would be animalistic. So if you can control that edge, you can control your sexual edge. You can control it. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You can control it. You can. You can say no. I feel it, but no. 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 I have a future to preserve. I have a name to preserve. I have a God to honor. You can say no. have to ask yourself, whose view do you want? Whose view do you want? Because holiness is not something you do conveniently. Living a holy life is not easy for anybody. People meet I'm saying, it's not easy. Hey, it's not easy at all. But it says, pursue holiness. Not sit down and let holiness happen. Pursue holiness. That means it's an action. Pursue holiness without which no one can see the Lord. Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Don't make excuses because you, if the moment you start making excuses, you will not have the effort. You will not make the effort to overcome. Once I, oh, this is me, you know, me, my weakness. I, I, I like women, no. I like women. I like women. On my way, I say, when, when a man talk to me, I can't say, I just love it. What they say, it tickles. <laughs> Pursue holiness. <laughs> Pursue holiness, it comes through discipline. Discipline, based on the fact that you want to please God and not men. Discipline. The discipline to be alone and say, this money in the office does not belong to me. I won't touch it. The discipline to say no. The discipline to say no. We may be dating, but there is no sex. Forget it. Not in the equation. Let us wait and enjoy it at the right time. Not that they are touching you here. Touching you. Carried you somewhere and they are touching. Pressing all over the place. 
you go to the, the mall to watch a movie, but the, forget the movie. Look for some high seats at the back. You think I don't know these things. Forget, look for some seats at the back. We don't go to watch. We don't, we don't want a dark room. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I'm in touch with your infirmity. Yeah. I've been through it. I know. Uh, yes. I know. But it's to stay, no, don't make compromises, my friends. It's difficult. For, 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 those us, for those of us who are dating, you know, when, when you love somebody, you know, you, you get sexually attracted to them. Yeah, it's part of the love equation. It's, it's important you feel that. But you can still say no. Because if you say yes all the time, then when your wife travels, then what, what will you do? Or when husband travels, what will you do? You look and sleep somewhere because, because, <laughs> because your wife or your husband has traveled. No. The discipline you put in the relationship will continue in the marriage. Yes. The urge to say, no, I love you too much for us to do this. We can wait. I love you too much. So just say no. No. So that you, you just know that just hanging around this person or the person, oh, I want to drop you off. You say, I just know that. Ah, no. I'll, 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 I'll. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes you know, that, sometimes you just know within that, nah, don't go and pay him a visit. I know he's sick, but don't go and pay him a visit. You will know within you. You will know. You will know that ah, this is risky. Risky. Because you become a nurse very fast. Eh? This is risky. <laughs> Take it easy, my friend. To say no. To say no. And God dwells in holiness. But he doesn't want to dwell in holiness by himself. He wants to dwell in holiness with us as well. And look at what, look at what God says about the people he wants to dwell in holiness with. Very interesting. He says in Isaiah 57 verse 12, verse 15, sorry. He says, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in, in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble heart, humble spirit, sorry. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. God says, I dwell in holiness, but I dwell in holiness with the humble person. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that sometimes, you know, when we come before God, sometimes we fall. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we sin. But when we come, we can say, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. Please forgive me. He says, I dwell in holiness with that kind of person. Not with the kind of person who is arrogant about their sin. Who is sinning and they are adamant. They are arrogant. They, they don't want to repent. They don't want to bend. Say, this is my way. God says, no. When we fall and, and we come with a contrite heart, a repentant heart, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Help me to overcome this weakness. God says, I dwell in holiness with that person. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm saying that when we fall, we can rise again. We can come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. It is the humility to acknowledge that God, I'm, I'm, I sinned against you. I'm sorry. I, I, I spoke this way I shouldn't have. I was bitter against this person I shouldn't have. I was envious of this person I shouldn't have. I was angry with this person I shouldn't have. It is that humility to say, God, I messed up. Please forgive me of my sins. The Lord says, I dwell in the midst of those kind of people. That's the God that you serve. That when we come to him, just as we are, he receives us just as we are. And he sent his son as a proof of his love to us as human beings. I dwell in the midst of a conjured people. Listen, my friend, when you fall, don't make excuses. Rise up again. Repent. Ask forgiveness and rise up and pursue the Lord. Don't make excuses. No, 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 no. When you fall, don't say that, oh, it's, it's normal. No, 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 no. Come to the Lord in the humility of your heart. With a broken and a conjured spirit. God says, I will not say no. I will not say no. There are no perfect people. 
But God says, I'm willing to dwell with the humble and the contrite. I love that about God. Nobody's perfect, but I want the contrite and the humble. I love that. Because if he's looking for perfection, he won't find it in me. I've fallen many times. But God says that when I'm humble enough to say, God, I messed up, he's able to pick me up again and turn my life around and use my story to bless others as well. That is the God that we serve, my friends. That is the good news of the gospel. I like what he says in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. He says, when Abraham was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I'm almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you. And will multiply you exceedingly. And that's why God loved David so much. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Because David will fall and David will come to God and, and say, God, I've messed up. And, and says, to you, have I sinned alone? If you look at Psalm 51, that was why God loved David so much. Not because he didn't fall. But, but, but when he fell, he had the humility to know that I can still come to God and ask for forgiveness. And that he will pick me up again. That is the God that we serve. And he tells Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. How many of you want to be blameless before the Lord? Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.